Close to Beans, your weekly military and veteran podcast with Doc Joslin. Ladies and gentlemen, grunts and girls, welcome to Bullets to Beans. I'm Doc Joslin. This week, we've got a great show for you. We're going to start off by talking about COVID-19 and what's going on in the world. And then we're going to have the team from Remedy Alpine come in and kick it around talking about what we're going to do this year on the mountain. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great show today. All right. So everybody's favorite topic for the last month or so is coronavirus. Let's run through the stats on this one. Across the world, according to the World Health Organization, who lost funding from the United States, according to President Trump earlier this week, in some capacity, we're looking at 2.16 million cases, 146,000 deaths. Closer to home in the United States, we've got 33,000 deaths and 662,000 cases. Narrowing the funnel even closer to the Pacific Northwest, we're looking at 15,500 cases and 735 deaths. That's still a spike of over 2,300 cases and 174 deaths in the last week. Alaska, the gold star winner across the United States because we're Alaska. We're holding tight at 309 cases and nine deaths. That's right. We are the last frontier and we are professionals at social distancing because fuck you, we put Canada between us and you. So anyway, that's kind of the updates on coronavirus. Let's talk about getting life back to normal. So President Trump earlier this week announced plans to get our economy back on its feet and try to return life back to normal. But keep in mind, folks, I just rattled off some statistics that show that this disease is not over yet. So like I've maintained throughout the entire process, I've been reporting on coronavirus. Don't freak out. Don't create more panic, but just respect the disease process for what it is. Do the right thing. We'll hope we get back to normal as soon as possible. Whatever normal will look like when this is all over with. So anyway, that's our updates for right now. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we'll have Luke Bouchatz and myself talking about Remedy Alpine and what we've got in store for the rest of the year. So in the studio with me today, folks, is a true legend and one of my partners in Remedy Alpine, U.S. Army Ranger, Chief Operating Officer and Principal at Remedy, and currently serving still the United States of America in the Alaska National Guard, Mr. Luke Bouchatz. Luke, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'm glad to be here. Good. Well, I've you know, Eric and I did a show a yeah. couple of weeks ago. I'm really glad to be able to have you and I together to do a show. Eric, for those that did catch last weekend or last week's show, Eric was supposed to be here today, but due to a conflict, he couldn't. And so we're sorry Eric's not here, but I'm really glad Luke is because Luke and I can just hang out and we can talk about what we do. Absolutely. So for today's show, I wanted to start off by talking about Remedy Alpine and the operational pause that we were in because of COVID-19. Uh, and as kind of mentioned in the show, I think two weeks ago with Eric, uh, when the COVID crisis kicked off, uh, we were kind of at a tough decision point. Do we continue to operate understanding that our programs are outdoors and typically by design social distanced for the most part anyway, or do we go into an operational pod? Uh, and there was some discussion behind the scenes with the principals and we kind of worked through things. And uh, as we're all aware, Remedy Alpine went into an operational pause. But seeing as though, not that we're out of the woods on this, but seeing as though things look like they're pointing in the right direction, President Trump has given guidance to the governors to get our economy reopened and start trying to get back to a new normal, whatever that new normal looks like, whatever that ramp up period looks like, we're going back to something. Governor Dunleavy up in Alaska earlier this week released a phased in approach for healthcare to bring services back. So in line with that, we are happy to announce that Remedy Alpine is coming off the shelf. Yes. Excited. Excited to be getting back on the mountain here in the next few weeks. So 
So what can people expect out of us and when? Yeah, so it looks like the first week of May is when we will be resuming one of our core programs, which is the Alpine Start Series, which is our early morning hikes. And we're going to start resuming that on the, the first Wednesday of May, which will be May 6th. I guess that'll be the, yeah, that'll be the first Wednesday. Yeah, May 6th. By a day. <laughs> so early morning trailhead at Mount Baldy. We will limit this to 10 people, yeah. which has been the max about that we've had. We've had some business busy mornings, but a lot of people don't get up that early for us. But, you know, so May 6th on Wednesday morning, if you're up to beating up Mount Baldy with us, the Remedy Alpine team will be at the Mount Baldy Trailhead. So I'm excited about that. What else are we doing? Yeah. So with opening programs again in May, we'll look at starting up our social programs again. Bullets to Beans will start the 14th which will be the second. We do the second and the fourth Thursdays of the month. We have our social program, Bullets to Beans. So that'll be the 14th and the 28th. So we'll kick those back off again in May, which will be uh, now we're not sure exactly what it'll look like in terms of the restaurant industry and coffee shops and everything being open to that end. But thankfully with our program, if that means we are jet boils and, you know, some instant coffee huddled around a picnic table at a local park, we can do Yep. And and as Luke and I were talking about pulling things off the shelf and coming back to life, and I think about the Bullets to Beans program, I think about what Remedy Alpine stands for, and I think about what the Bullets to Beans, how it started, how it's transformed. Now we've got a a podcast after it, still try to unite the veteran community. Luke's idea of, hey, we don't have to have a coffee shop is fucking beautiful, actually, because I like the idea of jet boils in a park or jet boils at Eagle River Nature Center or jet boils somewhere with trail chairs, adequately social distance, either in in our natural homeostasis as mountain people or in accordance with what CDC and everybody is saying for us to do. I mean, we naturally kind of social distance when we do what we do on the mountain. So look for, uh, you said the 14th and 28th? Yes. So look for the 14th and 28th. I would anticipate it may not be at Jitters. So look for our social media. We will make sure that we put it out because we want people to be there. If you don't have a jet boil, we'll bring one. Don't worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. We just want you to show up and hang out with veterans. And then the other thing about checking our social media, because we are coming out of COVID and we are trying to navigate responsibly as they bring things back to normal, our regular programs and our normal programs that we offer, you're going to have to pay attention to social media and our websites to see what that looks like and when those programs are offered. That's a good segue into talking about what we our programs are and what we normally do. Yeah, so absolutely. So Remedy Alpine, I think we've already talked about two of the kind of three core programs of what we do. So the weekly hike series, that the the Alpine Start series, that's one of our core programs. Our social program with Bullets to Beans, that's kind of our second core program. Each of those programs are designed around engaging with the veteran community. So veterans being able to engage with each other in what... I would say is a environment that is conducive to anybody, right? So anybody can come out and have coffee and we can talk about our experiences and our lives and just share and grow our trust and our relationships with each other. That's that's the core program of what Bullets to Beans is. And it's such an amazing program because that's where you build those relationships that then translate to trust on the mountain. And that's where the second program, the Alpine Start Series is. 
So that's the program where we're getting out, we're, we're hitting a peak early morning. Not only is it building the soul, but it's also building the individual grit, you might say, to be able to get up that early in the morning, to engage with other people, to start your day off right, and then to, to work the mountain. Because those hikes are you know usually between an hour and an hour and a half long, but usually it takes us an hour and an hour and a half to get up baldy and back down again. But that, that hike is you know just that thing you need in the morning. It usually and we put it right there in midweek to like get you over the hump and get you moving towards the weekend, which is a great thing. And then the third core program, of course, are our longer multi-night expeditions. And that's where we get out as veterans. We we break that uh, routine of life, right? And we get out into the mountains for multiple nights and we're able to experience nature as a, as a healing environment and also as a challenge that uh, can challenge us individually and can bring us all together and make us better as a team. Um, so those are the Absolutely. three kind of core programs. And I know that like wrapping this all back, all of these programs have come out of like the history of what you envisioned with Eric a number of years ago. And that's what I'd kind of like to talk about for a minute, kind of the history of how Remedy came about and why, and why Remedy exists. Oh, sure. Thanks. So the, the vision of Remedy Alpine, and we talked about this briefly on our Support the Troops yeah. show a couple you weeks ago, did, yeah. uh, but we'll get, we'll get a little more granular on it. So the vision, the first vision of Remedy Alpine was not to be an independent organization. Eric, he was the outreach coordination manager for the state of Alaska for Wounded Warrior Project. He was actually my outreach coordination manager. I was right. one of his warrior alumni. Right. And he saw through discussion and through my participation in events, he saw that I had some skill on the mountain and some experience. Uh, and he had an idea of is trying to be fiscally responsible in his job as an agent for Wounded Warrior Project. How could he provide an elemental program to the warrior alumni without spending a ton of money? How could we get warriors off the couch and break down that isolation yeah. without investing tons of money because as you and I know, the the near professional grade mountain climber, you know, our garages look like REI. It's, it is a very <laughs> yes. financially intensive sport at the peak level in that, you know, as Eric and I were talking about it, uh, how we could do it and everything that because it is so cost intensive or you walk into REI and you think about what you see in movies about all the equipment that everyone has on them and ice axes because everyone needs an ice axe, which you don't, you know, people just start racking dollar signs in their head. And, you know, so we wanted to be able to give people an experience without having an investment, either without Wounded Warrior to have to invest. And it's always been a core concept from day one that the warrior never touched their wallet. Right. So, uh, unless they wanted to. So, we started putting together a design of just single day hikes just to get people exposed to it. Getting them either starting at the nature center and then working off of the improved trail into the backcountry and slowly progress people onto the mountain. And about the time that we were having these discussions, there was a lot of negative press and a lot of things happened within the Wounded Warrior Project. And I'm not going to get into that. You can research that yourself. I obviously still advocate for Wounded Warrior Project, so I'm not going to split hairs with folks about their history. But anyway, the Wounded Warrior Project closed down their office up in, in Anchorage. The fire for this program, because of so much energy that got put into it and and what we thought was going to be something that would be of value to the veteran community. We didn't let what happened to one organization and the desire to do this for veterans. And so in 
the early summer of 17, we really kind of picked up momentum on the discussion. And then all of a sudden it was August of 17 and we start, hey, let's do this over Labor Day weekend. And we started with Crow Pass, which is now one of our elemental events that we do every year. It's one of the core things that we do and we're doing it twice a year now. So we started with Crow Pass. We put together some flyers with some cheese ball logo that I built up on like paint on a, a laptop <laughs> and it was horrible. It was, it was absolutely horrible. It got us started. You know, the Elks club in Eagle river was really good about donating space to us. We did some local word of mouth advertising. We started out with 10 people interested. We had an orientation at the Elks and eight people showed up and signed up for it. And then we got, we, you know, Eric did really good at building a relationship with REI and got them to donate the gear for us. We got Chris Kyle Patriots Hospital to donate their van to drive so we could drive everyone down and nobody had to worry about dropping a car off and picking it up and we could just take care of logistics. Wounded Warrior Project kicked in, buying all the mountain house meals and everything in literally in less than two weeks we went from, hey, let's try it to, holy shit, we've got people in a van, we're driving down to a trailhead, and we're actually fucking doing this. Yeah. So we did. Uh, we did Crow Pass over three days, and I know a lot of the ultra folks out here do it in 12 hours, and it's very common people do it in a single overnight, and we've done it in a single overnight event before, but it, it doesn't achieve the the goals of what Remedy Alpine stands for, and we really prefer the the three-day, two-night, two-and-a-half day, two-night right. event. The pace is to the point where it allows that introspective thought, that personal reflection, that team building and bonding right. and enough suck to challenge yourself, but yes. not so much suck that yeah. you're miserable right. and you want to just fucking smash everybody that's on the trail. Right. With you. Which is super important. It is. Which is the, like, that's the whole point of the program. Is yeah. That if you're just sucking the entire time. Yep. Then, and then you're, you're not healing. You're not looking at yourself. You're just trying to make it through. Yeah. Um, in uh the so we had two it was Eric and myself and we had two participants we had one green beret and we had an artillery officer both from obviously from the army and when we got done and we came off the trail we had an end of event pizza party it was pizza and beer at the VFW in Eagle River and when the VFW community saw four guys stinky smelly as shit coming off the trail with all sorts of mountain gear and most of the folks knew me like hey what's going on we kind of explained it to them the outpouring of support was incredible right and then the requests of when are you doing it again I want to go out with you when when can I sign up how can I sign up where do I get information and then all of a sudden Eric we're like we were like holy shit we this thing has legs yeah you know uh, so then we kind of hit pause on that. We're like, all right, well, hey, everybody, relax. We will get back out there. And we, we went into a business building mode. And so from September to November, we were doing about an every other month mountain orientation, like Backcountry 101, right. two-hour skills clinic where we would go over the equipment, the tents, the sleeping bags, what the ratings meant, how to set up stoves, the how to layer clothes properly, and just how to go through how to not die on the trail and how to use your equipment properly in a, a a controlled classroom environment while we did business building. And then we put together the concept of doing a winter skills camping trip uh, at the Perch and Eagle River Nature Center. And that is what, in my opinion, fulfilled the team because we did 
the, the, the program orientation at the Elks. I think it was two weeks before the trip. Yep. And in, and I think we had eight people show up for orientation. And there was this couple, this young cocky couple comes in, you know, chiseled looking ranger dude and his wife that's fit beyond belief. And they come in and they sit down and they go through the program and they're just kind of confident. And at the end of it, they're like, hey, can we talk to you? I'm like, yeah, what do you got? And they're like, hey, we moved up here because we were going to, we were thinking about opening a company that sounds just like yours. I was like, well, shit, well, we can either join forces or we can compete. Right. I don't like to compete. <laughs> and that person, if you haven't picked up on the sarcasm, is actually Luke. So Luke went out on that program with us and did the winter camp, kept in touch with us and kept hanging out with us and doing things with us. And then in October of 18, Remedy Alpine guided a corporate team building event for the company that I work full time for. And we took 10 people up Rendezvous Ridge in the front range. And Eric and I had kind of had some back channel, back office discussions. And we we're like, Luke, we're going to kind of put you on point on this one. You know, so we said, hey, just kind of run with it. And we'd had some discussions with Luke about, you know, we, we we're going to figure out a way to make you a part of this. And just so blown away and impressed with uh, his level of professionalism and his knowledge and skill and the way he was able to coach people up on the mountain. And just the way he complimented Eric and myself as a team that when we came off with the, uh, when we got done with the, the trip. Eric and I got together at my house one night and we typed up an offer letter and for a $0 amount, we gave Luke 30% of the company because he was just that fucking good. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. So that's, that is how I came in to uh, be part of this program. Yeah. I think Amy had met you originally at something. It was at the VFW. At the VFW yes. with the Team RWB it thing was. or some auxiliary event. I'm not sure. It was an RWB event. Right. Right. It wasn't uh, her and Rachel, I think, Rachel showed up Passage, to, yeah, 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 showed up at the VFW for something representing RWB. Right. And I had got up to talk about Remedy Alpine. Right. And after uh, it was uh, it, it a pause or a break in the evening meeting, Amy came up and was like, my husband and you should you guys should get together because you guys like you guys would hit it off and be good friends. And he likes to climb mountains and do all that sorts of shit, too. And I was like, well, we, you know, we had, we do these program orientations. You tell them to come by. Right, right. And uh, sure enough, you did. Yes, and absolutely. It was probably one of the best things that happened. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was a great event, that uh, winter camping event. And, uh, yeah, we've continued that program. We did it again this year. We were able to do uh, two winter camps this year, which was awesome. Wanted to get a couple more in, but Mr. COVID decided to yeah. jump, on a, a jump on that train. <laughs> Yep. So, so a minute ago, you talked about our social program with Bullets to Beans and then our Alpine Start series and then our kind of key program with the multi-day, multi-night. I want to focus on that for a second because for folks that have never been out with us, you don't have to go from a Wednesday morning baldy hike to a multi-day, multi-night event. We break that down to get you worked into it. Absolutely. And it's kind of a phased in approach. We do single day hikes, single overnight camping, and then we kind of work people up to the multi-day, multi-night. Night. And we can talk yeah. about those in a bit. Yeah. So some of the programs, what we try and put on the, the calendar every month are two, at least one single day hike during the hiking season. And even in winter, we try and have a single day winter type event. So this past winter, we did a uh, single overnight camp in December, uh, which was super successful. That was out at Archangel, right? We did that off of, uh, we did that off of Goldman, but right next to Archangel there in, in the the Talkeetna Range, uh, the front range right there near Hatcher Pass. That was a super relaxed environment. We went out, set up tents. Uh, there's a backcountry site that was 
a little over half a mile off the trailhead. So it was an easy hike in, set up tents, and we went through the whole process of this is how you build a winter camp, you know, from digging out to building your platform for your tents to this is how you build a latrine in snow. This is how you build a, a, a campfire when you have three feet of snow and you need to get down. This is how you build your chimney to be able to feed. And we went through the whole process of setting up a winter camp, which was great. We had two participants out on that, and it was great with, uh, with both of them. And then we also did uh, a couple of winter hikes this, this year where we – did just some easy trailhead, and I think both hikes were less than what we did. Gosh, we did Matanuska Peak trailhead, okay. and, and we did. I think that was the only one we didn't. We didn't end up going. We had Gold Star on the calendar, but that got nixed because of COVID. Gold Star got nixed because yeah. of COVID. And then we did, uh, and then we had our our perch hike yep. in uh, in February. Right. Which was, we actually, the conditions in the snow, we didn't get all the way out to the perch, but we did get out to Echo Bend, which is about, what, just a mile short of that, maybe three yeah. quarters of a mile right. short of short of the perch out in Eagle River Valley. But we were able to set up camp out there, and that was a good event. We had uh, three, one, two, three, yes, we had three veterans on that trip with with us as well nice which is great which was great and uh so we were able to experience those but the what both of those camps were were kind of like it wasn't meant to be a suck fest it was meant to be an enjoyable like experience like you can camp in in the cold you can camp when it's negative 10 degrees and have a good time you can experience something that seems really really difficult in your mind when you think about it but then once you get out there and actually experience it as long as we've packed right we brought the right clothing we brought the right foods most mostly what winter camping ends up being is eating a lot and hanging out around a fire <laughs> my my best night of sleeps ever are typically in a tent in the middle of nowhere between zero and minus 10 just the crispness of the air typically it has a lot to do with the community and the folks that i'm with right and being that this the fucking cell phone doesn't ring. I don't have my email blown up from work. Right. I don't have the distraction. The stressors of life are temporarily paused. Yeah. I'm typically out with people that I enjoy their company with. And I did guide a few years ago up in Fairbanks and there was a couple people that wore me out on one trip, but I was still having a blast and it was still one of the best night sleeps that I had. It, we got a little colder than I wanted to that night, but, and we were up, uh, we were up at Granite Tours uh, in the middle of winter, which there's a reason the locals don't hike Granite Tours in the middle of winter. But anyway, yeah, I still... I mean, that environment, the elements, when it all comes together and it's delivered appropriately. Right. What that does to somebody who's dealing with anxiety, dealing with isolation, dealing with depression, dealing with still reliving elements of war from years right. ago. Or the trauma that we then bring home into our own yeah. personal relationships. Absolutely. Know. That that healing environment does wonders for folks. And Absolutely. that's the that is the whole purpose of Remedy Alpine. Is in the tagline, work the mountain, rest your mind, uh, fits our programs beautifully. Because that's that's what we're all about, is just getting out on the mountain and let your mind calm down a little bit. Yeah. So, and now we've got a new program that we're starting to put together, literally, quite literally, we're flying the plane as we're building it, but we're putting together a mountain leadership program. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So we're, we're uh, when I say we're, 
I mean, Dave, myself, Eric, the principals are really excited about this program because this is the opportunity to kind of grow leadership within the program to find veteran leaders that are already leaders in their community and their families, whatever it might be, and help them uh, expand their potential, expand their skill sets, and expand their influence on their communities. So I'm super excited about that. The way that we're designing this program as as we are projecting into the future is we're trying to build a kind of a program that shows elements of leadership as experienced in elements that you need on the mountain and then also that translate to servant leadership in the community. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's really exciting and and one of the the directions that we're heading with this is kind of the whole idea behind what you need to be what type of leader you need to be on the mountain which is an all-encompassing. You have to have a full spectrum of leadership characteristics that you're displaying when you're when you're on the mountain, when you're leading others. Um, but that's not, the mountain is just a analogy almost at that point for yeah. life in general. So when you look at me, as, as you said, I'm kind of that cocky guy that gets out there and I'm that operational leader. I'm the guy that wants to you to have the skills and the knowledge to be able to not only master whatever environment you're in, but also be able to bring others along with you. So that operational leader. And then when we look at you, you're forward thinking, you're projecting, you're seeing the the big rocks and the obstacles, that strategic leader that's able to navigate the, the difficulties of somebody's traumas, maybe uh, that understands the intrinsic second and third order of effects that someone might be experiencing while they're uh, that while they're on the mountain, you know, as they're resting their mind because they aren't possessed with all of the things that we have every day that are keeping us our routine, basically that is keeping us sane. Right. Yep. <laughs> all of the all of those traumas start to present themselves, and that strategic leader that's there to able to see those things coming down the road or coming down the mountain before they get to us. And then there's there's Eric's seat, which we always call the compassionate leader, right? The guy yeah. that's that's really there and wants to be a emotional anchor or a psychological anchor to be able to help someone. Eric wants to give everybody granola bars. Granola bars and a hug. He does. Granola bars and a hug. And that's that's great. You have to be able to get, have that. Whereas more like myself, my own personality, like if you're going through something, I want to be helpful and compassionate and I want to be there for you. But at the same time, I'm going to let you go through the experience that you need to go through. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not necessarily the guy that's like coming up and putting a granola bar in your bag. I'm, I'm the fast and light guy. I'm like, you don't need that granola bar. You can drink your tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> very true. It, it, so for those that have never been on the mountain with the, the Remedy Alpine team, the, the backstory with Eric and the granola bars, and this is the, this story is about the only, uh, I'm, now I'm really sorry that Eric's not here because I feel like we're talking about him behind his back, but we say this a hundred times a year in front of him. Uh, Eric is known for overpacking his pack yes. for the benefit of everybody else. Absolutely. And when we take safety breaks or water breaks or when we're transitioning gear, Eric will literally run around. He, he That fucker won't take a break. He will no. run around at everybody else's pack and he will sneak snacks into their pack. Yes. He will put a camp pillow into their pack when he sees they're the running low on Lickies and Chewies, you know, all of a sudden the Licky and Chewy fairy showed up named Eric and now you've got extra nutrition. Yes. You've got extra nourishment and, you know, 
and I've seen it on people's face. They're like, man, I thought I was out of food. And all of a sudden there was two granola bars there, <laughs> you know, and it, it picked right. them up. It lightened Absolutely. them up. Absolutely. So yeah. So that's, that's kind of the running joke and Eric or Luke's running joke, which he just stated. So I can't really make people laugh for it, but Luke will literally, you know, Eric and I will, I'll show up with a, a 38 pound pack. Eric will show up with a 47 pound pack and Luke will show up with a 20 pound pack. Yeah. And that is, that is the true example. I think that's representative of, of the remedy team. You've got the the very aggressive natured person up front that's pulling people up the mountain. You've got the coach, the nurturer, and the support base that's there that's kind of that soft cushion when the mountain's too much for you. And then you've got me, who as representative as that is of Doc, that's trooping the line, that's running from the front right. to the back, to the front, to the back. And that's just how I'm born and bred as a, as a combat medic. So that's the balance of the team. Yes. And what we're, we're trying to do, uh, back to what we were talking about, is take those three foundational leadership composites right. and instill them on willingful participants that want to be a part of not just a more contributing member of their community, but might also want to contribute at Remedy Alpine. Yes. So uh, we're in cohort one. There's been two people, two participants selected for cohort one, and we're about halfway through. And so you can probably, I would imagine this summer, there will probably be an advertisement go out for cohort two. Yes. For an application for cohort two. So, but like I said, this is literally an airplane that's being built while it's in midair. So we're putting some, some more components to it and we're kind of polishing it up a little bit. So look for that. What else do we do? We Uh, take crampons and ice axes out every now and then. We do. We do get on the big mountains sometimes. But if I could just step back really quick, like Mm -hmm. for this leadership, for this mountain leadership program, we're not looking to build leaders like in our image. We're yep. trying to build the leader that they already are and make them better. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that what we'll find as we go along and as the we uh, begin to work with so many dynamic veterans that we'll see like the own gaps, our own gaps in leadership and our own failures and, and be able to bolster those hopefully through, yep. through those shared experience. And that's what another huge part of Remedy is, is by attaching myself with you and attaching myself with Eric, I've been able to improve my own leadership. I've been able to improve my own self-awareness and improve my own uh, physical, mental, spiritual health because I've invested myself in those relationships. And that's a key component to what we do in Remedy. Absolutely. And I think that nowhere else is that seen as when we do a big mountain. So last year we did Mount Hood with all of the principals from from Remedy, and we also had two of uh, our board members, a couple of our board members on that climb. And what what you saw from that was a experience where we all got to do something that tested us individually and corporately, but also where we were able to cheer on. Like I I felt so supported by the entire team, even though the whole team didn't make it up. And I don't know if you've told this story on. on I the, haven't. This is a good time to do it. Actually. <laughs> okay. So we could, we could do this story. So we uh, went down to, to Oregon last summer. What June? It was April. Was it, it April? Yeah. It was the third was week April? of April. Okay, man. I thought it was. I guess it was because I was off walking by the sec- second or third week yeah, of May. You yeah, did, you did Warrior I took Expeditions off on in June. Warrior Expeditions, which is another shout out to Warrior Expeditions. Great program. 
uh, they're they're going to have to figure something out this year. They got like so many guys that are <laughs> behind the curve on their through hikes. But yeah. but yeah, shout out to Warrior Expeditions. But uh, we we took the team down to to uh, Portland and we drove out to uh, to to Mount Hood and we scouted it day before, right? We did. So let me set yeah. up the team yeah. real quick. Yeah, set this team. So up, the man. three principles in order of experience is Luke, who's done some good big mountain, some, some notable big mountain work in the past. And then climber two in the, the second experience spot is myself, yep. ice climbing, a little bit of big mountain work, army mountain warfare school, yada, yada, yada. And then Adam, one Adam. of our board members who used to be my ice climbing partner when we were stationed in Fairbanks together, we did a lot of mountain work together and actually ran uh, almost a precursor to Remedy Alpine up in Fairbanks called Fairbanks Area Mountaineers. And then you had Eric, who's never been big mountain before, but he's done tons of backcountry right. and tons of trails. Right ton of hiking and it was almost you know kind of between him and adam in that three spot and then justin our team photographer and board member the dude put crampons on the first time the day before the climb on yes. the on the scout day so we we also adam and justin are in southern arizona right justin's in tucson adam's south of that like the hot the hot part of arizona right but the elevation part of it yes yes and so they fly up to portland the three of us alaskans fly down to portland we all meet within 30 minutes of each other at the airport and then we haul ass out to government peak, uh, the government peak area or government camp area government camp yes and immediately go to mount hood yes and we we haven't even checked into the condo we're we're immediately on the mountain we're getting geared up we wanted to get justin on crampons yes and we wanted to do a little bit of team training a little snow walking snow walking scout the mountain glass it kind of get some visual reference of what we have glenn ray from phoenix project came up to cook for for us. Yeah. Uh, we'll be doing, we'll be, I'll be interviewing Glenn here in a few weeks to talk about Phoenix Project. He came up to cook for us. And then, you know, we got off the mountain at about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We went back. Glenn was at the condo cooking for us. We had to consolidate and repack gear. Yes. Eat dinner. We go to bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Right. And we get up at 11.30. Yes. And we get dressed and load up the the Suburban that we rented and we head to the mountain and by 1 a.m. we're on the fucking mountain. Yes. Are you talk about a balls out suicide type pace. So we start out, this is the first time that this collective of five people have climbed together. Although we've all climbed together individually in right. smaller teams. Yes. Right. This is the first time the five of us have been on a mountain together. Right. And so we're starting out under headlamp, the best time to be on a mountain, beautiful Alpine start. We get up to Silcox warming hut. That was our plan was to get up to Silcox, break out the jet boils, warm up with some tea or coffee, and then punch it out and punch up the hogs back and then rest again at hogs back. Well, as we're getting our way to Silcox, the, the, the sulfur smell from the fumaroles and and I've read about this day on multiple blogs and posts. The smell of sulfur from the fumaroles that day was notable. It yes. was worse than a lot of the people that frequent the mountain were like, man, they were pretty fucking mad that day. So I'm starting to get some stomach cramps and get nauseous from the smell of sulfur. We get up to Silcox and it's locked. Someone fucking rented it for a wedding the yep. next day and yep. it was locked. So we couldn't. So that kind of blew our plan. We're like, well, we'll just keep pushing on. And so we get to it was just a I think it was 
about 9,000 feet, coming out of the, the, the snow berm and the drifted snow around Silcox, I twist my knee and the knee that I had surgery on a few years ago. And so now I've got a knee that's aggravated. I've got stomach cramps that the closer up I get to the actual hog's back and where the fumaroles are, it gets more potent, stronger. I'm having some pretty significant stomach cramps. My knee's killing me and is about 9,000 feet. There's already a space between Justin and Luke. Yeah, where, we had we had started outpace you guys at that point. Yeah, because you know, I was holding folks back and I'm the I'm the two climber. And so finally, Eric, Eric, I think was about 100 yards ahead of us. Yeah. And I, so I, and we got team radio. So we're all in communication and I just stop at like 9,000 feet. And I'm like, God, I'm done. I looked at Adam. Adam stuck with me. Adam and I have been attached to the hip for about 10 years, even though we live apart from each other. And so I looked at him and I was like, dude, I'm done. He goes, I just came here to hike with you, brother. <laughs> and so we got, I had to pass some gear off to Eric. He came back down the mountain to get some gear. And then, so Adam and I turned around and turned at 9,000 feet and then you pick up. Right. So at that, when you called the turn, we were hitting the cat trail just at the very top of where they groom Mount Hood ski area. So Justin and I had just hit that. So that was a good point for us to stop and wait for Eric to close up with us. So we were there maybe half an hour for him to close up with us after he changed off with you and moved back up the mountain. That point, the the mountain gets a lot. Well, there's, there's to that point, there's what they call a hiker's trail or something yeah. like that. I don't know. Like people will day hike up to that point, I guess. Old ladies um, walk their dogs. I don't think old ladies walk their dogs up there, but yeah, <laughs> but there are, there are like day hikers up to that yeah. point that may go to that point. Once you got above that, it went from, I don't know, a 32, 30 degree slope and it started to get more aggressive, move into the towards, moving towards the upper 30s degree slopes into the 40s. And at that point, we just started moving up the mountain, taking our time. As we got closer and closer to the hog's back, that's where the venting femoral stink was. Yeah, <laughs> as we got up there, we got up to just at that. That's that's where Eric was tapped out. It was about yeah. ten five. Yeah, was when we got up to ten five. He was having some altitude challenges. He was. Yeah, at that point, it was he was getting a bad headache and he was having some issues with that. And I understand that. Like he had put in a a hard effort, and we got to that point, and that was a good like transition point because at at the hogs back there forward, it's a no fail like step. Like right. you can't have it's a high consequence if you misstep from that point up the mountain. Now, looking at our statistics, we've got about 30% of the listeners that aren't from Alaska. Mm -hmm. So for the non-Alaskans, just so you're aware, because we've already said the number two climber who's from Alaska turned, and now the number three climber turned, right? also from Alaska. Just because we live in Alaska and we play in the mountains on a regular basis doesn't mean we live at altitude. Yes. So my house sits at, Eric and I sit at about the same elevation yeah, like and about, feet. right about 500 yeah, feet. That's where I am too in Palmer. So we are essentially looking at sea level from my neighborhood. Yes. And we flew down to Portland, drove up and we were, I mean. 6,000 feet. We were at, at 6,000 feet camp. at government camp. Um, or 5,800, 5,200, yeah, somewhere out there. So whereas the Arizonans, I mean, Adam's house, Adam's ranch and outside of Sierra Vista is at like 4,200 feet. Right. You know, so yes, the Alaskans actually succumb to altitude <laughs> a little quicker just because we weren't conditioned for it. That's true. That's true. But uh, Justin, who is our novice climber at that point, and I think at this point, a lot of that was what, so they talk about the expert curve, bell curve, you know, as you 
become more experienced with something, there's there's a, a range there where you think that you are able to do stuff because you have a certain skill set until you get good enough or more experienced with something where you realize that you could die just as easily <laughs> with those that skill set as with anything. So as a complete novice, Justin was just trusting that in oblivious the steps that we were taking the techniques we were using as we went up the mountain and that i wasn't going to take him into something that he couldn't handle and that would get either of us or anybody else on the mountain put put any of us in danger so right. uh, from that point we just hiked up the hogs back got in the queue at the pearly gates there were just a handful of people ahead of us up through the pearly gates we hung out on top of mount hood for probably 45 minutes most people just summited turned around and headed back down but we hung out up there we had a good time yeah, yeah. and we we took some pictures one group came up behind us and they went over and skied off of what's called the old chute mm-hmm. um and they skied down the old chute but that justin and i worked our way back down into the pearly gates and we got stuck there for like 30 minutes because there were some i don't i don't know what country they were from they were asian climbers that were practicing fixed rope pass offs so they were practicing tying off in two-man teams onto fixed ropes and they were taking up the entire this in the pearly gates this five foot wide shoot shoot and they're (laughs) sitting there and we're and i'm yelling at them like to clear the shoot so either come up or come down and they don't speak a lick of english (laughs) so and justin (laughs) like sitting there as we're coming up the pearly gates this is this this is this is a funny story and i i don't want to justin this was the only point where i was a little concerned because it was cold it was cold up on top of the Mm. mountain and as we were going up through the pearly gates we had put on our insulating layers up to that point because that when we were sitting in the queue at the bottom of the pearly gates there were five climbers getting up ahead of us and we were cold so we put on our insulating layers to keep our body heats in and then as we move into the pearly gates i'm like like, hey, we got a we got 50 yards on the other side of Pearly Gates, so we're at the summit. So we'll just dump our we'll keep our insulating layers on up through the Pearly Gate up to the summit and take it off there. But as we come up through the Pearly Gates, Justin's so we're using our our ice axe to help our climb at that point. Yeah. And Justin's helmet had worked forward on his head, and he had his hood over his helmet, and he ended up looking like Kenny <laughs> from South Park <laughs> because his hood like scrunched over his face and he had this tiny maybe three inch wide picture window that Periscope, he could actually yeah. see the mountain in like the most restricted part of the mountain he had a three inch view of what he was looking at and it's like open up your hood so once he got through the pearly gates it was great he got his hood off we got up to summit we had a great time up there hung out for a little bit so at what yeah. point did the helmet fly off the mountain okay so we got all the way up we enjoyed our time up on top of the mountain had a snack rehydrated then we descended back through the pearly gates at no point did we actually have to rope up at some uh, on our descent into the pearly gates i wondered if we should rope up at that point or not but it hadn't been the the amount of climbers that go up hood and up through the pearly gates really there were great kick steps that have been kicked in the entire way down so it was basically a ladder up and down yeah um just an ice ladder and we were able to descend without ropes we got down the hogs back past the 
femoral fissures. And we were about, I would say, halfway back down to the cat trail. And we stopped to have a snack because at that time it was, what, 11? We got up to the summit at 1045. We were back down. That was probably noon, 1230-ish. And by that time, the mountain had started to soften up. Midday sun, everything. So we were starting to punch through and we were slogging our way down the mountain at that point. So we stopped to just let our legs rest. As you know, the down is often worse than the up. Always. And so uh, we were feeling it in our down muscles. And so we stopped to take a little break and Justin took his helmet off and instead of clipping it onto the carabiner on his hip, he set it down on what appeared to be a flat surface. So let me set this up real quick. (laughs) So when Eric turned, so Justin didn't have his own helmet. So I brought an extra helmet, which was this old Camp 4. And Eric knows the history of this helmet really well. I've climbed in Germany and Austria. That helmet's been all over the world with me. And so that helmet was special. And Eric knew that. Justin didn't have a helmet. So I was like, I'll bring my old camp helmet. But Eric knew that it was kind of shelved because that was, it has sentimental value because of all the, the, the times I've had in that helmet. So when Eric decided to turn, he switched and took my Camp 4 helmet from Justin and gave Justin his brand new Black Diamond Half Dome. Brand new. Brand, I mean, like... Out of the box. Out now. of the box, probably the day that we got on the flight. Yes. So Justin has Eric's brand new Half Dome. Yes. And? Yeah, so he lays it down on what appears to be, he thinks, a flat surface. I don't see this to tell him to put it on his his carabiner, on his on his belt. And it, it was either one small ice crystal melted or it just... There was <laughs> this just this little tick and you saw it just shift slightly and then it was zoom off to the races and we literally watched that orange dot descend down a glacier on mount hood for a mile yeah. and the helmet was gone and it was gone <laughs> and and justin did say should we go get it and i was like no no <laughs> no um, I think I used some expletives. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we descended on down the mountain from there. And, and uh, we hit the cat trail. And then uh, from there, it was just slogging through wet, deep, knee-deep snow till we got back down to the uh, to the parking lot. Yeah. And so we had picked Eric up. We communicated the turn. And so Adam and I went, grabbed Eric. We went back to the condo that we rented and kind of freshed up a little bit. And we were just waiting. We were kind of playing a time, trying to gamble with the time a little bit. But luckily, our condo had direct line of sight to the mountain. It did. With zero interference in between. And we heard the radio call from the condo. Yes. And so we're like, shit, let's get in the truck and go. So we we met up. We got to the parking lot just before you guys were coming off. We saw you guys coming down the trail. The logistics behind it, like a lot of knock on wood, a lot of the remedy events, it, they just worked out. But because everything's well planned, we right. go through a very systematic approach at planning out our events. And then go back to the condo, refresh a little bit. Then we went down into the government camp area. We stopped and got some food at Mount Hood Brewery. They had yep. that one beer that we tasted didn't. like bong water. It was really bad. It was horrible. And yeah, I, I described it as bong water to the guy. And the waiter was like, well, the, the beer meister does smoke weed. And I'm yeah. like, well... <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> it, it was pretty bad. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that was our Mount Hood event. We had planned to climb Mount Rainier this year, but Uncle COVID kind of wiped that one off. And, and because there's still some travel restrictions, everything that's going on with that, we will not, it was supposed to be in June, but we will not be climbing Mount Rainier this year. That'll probably end up getting pushed to 2021. Right. But in our discussions and planning, there's still going to be a big mountain trip. Right. We're just going to figure out what that alternate is, and then we'll yeah. let that 
that we'll let folks know about that. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Alaska's full of big mountains, so We've I'm got sure a couple. we'll be able to find one. Yeah. <laughs> so in the the thing about the big mountain events that we do, folks, is that's something that we typically, again, like last, like what we just got done sharing the story, that was the, the principals and a couple of board members. We are open to taking participants out on that. Yeah. We do gauge experience and yes, skill because there, anytime you're on the mountain, there's an element of risk. Yes. When you're on big mountains with spikes and axes and sharps, sharps, when you've got ropes in your pack and you have to make the decision on the fly of, are we roping up or not? That element of risk is so variable and it's at a degree that if you don't have some basic mountain skills, right. I, I, I even, I hesitate to say basic. If you don't have intermediate mountain skills, some intermediate mountain skills, the risk associated with that is something that we really have to question. Right. So, and that's the whole purpose of our programs is right. continuing to come out with us. You can step up the programs and Luke put it best, sidewalk to summits right. is the program design that Luke has come up with as our chief operations officer to get people literally from walking on a sidewalk to walking up a summit. Yes. And that's what we're about. Right. To caveat with that, one thing that I'm super excited about, can we talk about the Wounded Warrior Project? programming? Absolutely, we can. Yeah. So we're partnering with Wounded Warrior Project here in the state. Watch our social media for an announcement on this probably here in the next week that we're going to be doing a COVID-19 fitness digital program where we want you to work out with us and we'll be helping you get in shape for the mountain because the biggest variable always on the mountain is you, right? Conditions, you know, are what they are. The person themselves as a tool going up the mountain is is always the the biggest variable in terms of is that tool sharp as in fit and ready to get up a mountain is it ready to do six thousand feet in a day or is it only able to do three those are the variables that you know we want to want to get you in shape with so you can come out and do three with us on a mountain um this summer or six if you want to but then again we have those gates that you, you gotta hit yep and if you're a registered alumni member of wounded warrior project there is a online discussion with remedy alpine scheduled for Thursday, the 30th of April, the last day of April. That's right. At 1630, that's 630 for all of us that turned into civilians, Alaska time. So if you're not an enrolled and registered alumni member of Wounded Warrior Project, I'd invite you to go to uh, woundedwarriorproject.org. Check it out. If you're qualified, which if you served after 9-11 and you got injured in any capacity, combat or not. You have an A rating, which is pretty much everybody. It's pretty much everybody. You're probably qualified. So I would encourage you to go check it out. Yeah. So we're we're starting to do some virtual programs as we start working back out of COVID to yeah. get people ready for when we're physically on the mountain together. Yeah, but the point of this uh, program is that we want to engage with veterans, you know, even though we are socially distancing, that we're not having core programs going on right now, that we can still engage together. We can still keep each other accountable for physical fitness, our emotional fitness, our wellness, our holistic wellness. And that's that's the point of the program. So, yep. Who else are we working with? The past two years, I've had the privilege of guiding Travis Mannion Foundation has a Alaska expedition that they do every year through their program. And again, this year they're coming up to Alaska and they do some service projects throughout the week. They serve veterans and Gold Star families while they're up here. And then they are also one of the core events of their program when they're here in Alaska is they climb Gold Star Peak. So as Gold Star family members, they get to climb their mountain. It's a great experience and we're got, we're privileged to get to lead that again this August. We're 
and we're currently talking with them and starting yep. to do the early stages of that expedition planning. But we're going to take that team up Gold Star Peak and up Mount POW MIA again in August, which is an amazing climb. It's amazing to see a 70-year-old Gold Star parent climb a 3,000 feet up a mountain over a mile and a half. Like, you've been up Gold Star. It's an aggressive approach. It's not a joke. It's not. And to see these 70-year-old parents be like, there's no way that I'm not getting to the top of this mountain. Yep. Do that is is just amazing. It's uh, super cathartic. It is. Um, yeah. So we're, we're working with Travis Mannion Foundation. And then we have continued to partner with local national chapters of Team RWB, where we have done hiking events with them. And we'll continue to do those things over the summer as well. And I'm talking with team, the local Team Rubicon folks yeah, um, about absolutely. doing some Team Rubicon events and actually trying to get a Team Rubicon show together yeah. to get Peter and Chris and Angie and my wife, Christy, and some of the local TR players that do a lot of good things in the community here to come in. And I think that's a good message to share with everybody Absolutely. and would make a great show. So Absolutely. I'm trying to set that one up on my planning docket. I would like to have uh, RWB folks come yep. in because there's a lot of good people doing great things about getting the veteran community connected. And that's essentially what, you know, if you had to get past the ice axes, the sleeping bags, the tents it, and bust everything down to the most DNA level of what does Remedy Alpine stand for? It's about connecting veterans. Absolutely. It's about engaging. Yep. It's about engaging with, with our peers, about engaging each other, breaking that isolation. And this time time of year is super is very representative of that as as we're I know that the, the lower 48 you know they've my back home in Ohio where I grew up it, they they didn't really have a winter this year they had it was cold but you know they didn't have the normal two feet of snow that they'll get there you know as the snow recedes here in in alaska it's very representative of you have to get yourself moving you have to get out you have to engage and there are programs out there that you don't want to climb a mountain that's fine there are 50 other programs that want to engage with you in whatever you want to do and if you're curious about those go back to episode 10 and listen to episode 10 and download that one because we go over a lot of those. Yeah. So back in uh, February, we did a cross-country ski event with Wounded Warrior Project, Yep, which was great. You know, we had like four or five veterans come out and we just skied around on some local easy trails. Most of the people had never been on cross-country skis before, but it was a great event because we were able to engage with each other. We were able to connect with each other. And we got some coffee and donuts as well. So, Who doesn't you know, love coffee good. and donuts? Uh, I do. <laughs> So, so, and if you're interested in what you've heard in the types of events that Remedy Alpine does, whether you're a veteran group or not, uh, I would encourage you to connect with us if you're interested in having Remedy Alpine assist you with a mountain type event or a backcountry type event. There will be links in the show notes. You can always find us at www.remedyalpine.org. You can send uh, an email to the general delivery mailbox that both Luke and I get, uh, remedyalpine at gmail.com. And I think that's a good way to kind of close the show out. So although we are veteran centric, we always love to take care of not just military, but first responders, police officers, firefighters, paramedics. Absolutely. Um, and as we did talk about, we've done team building events for uh, corporate organizations as well. Our goal is just to help tie the community together to yes. get people to overcome some challenges and take themselves higher places within themselves. So absolutely. Any any closing thoughts? Luke? Hey, thanks for having me in on the podcast. I know that I'm I'm sure I'll get to be on one or two in the future. Maybe as long as I don't screw it up too bad. But yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we just continue to work the mountain and rest our minds. Awesome. Well, stay tuned. I'll close us out in just a moment. And it's been Doc Joslin and Luke Bouchatz from Remedy Alpine. I'll be back in just a moment.
All right, folks, that's the show for this week. Thanks for hanging out and streaming. If you enjoyed the show, please go to your favorite podcast channel, hit subscribe, share, and tell all your friends about it. Next week's show coming up, we'll be talking about the VFW, what it does as a national organization, and how it's more than just a bar. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Bullets to Beams, the weekly podcast series dedicated to America's military and veteran service members. The 1% of this country that actually did something to protect your freedom. Medicine Man 7, out.